Poppin' the Christian Bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by, well, no one, because we're still small. But someday, hopefully, by companies like Apple and Amazon. I share with you a recent book that I read, Apple TV Plus, Is It Worth Your Time? Kurt gets introduced to Ricky Gervais. Bieber does a duet video with Ariana Grande. And there's robots in Singapore telling people how far they need to be away from each other during this pandemic. And what are your thoughts on Elon Musk? All this and more on this episode. Welcome to episode 11. Firstly, I want to say hello and welcome to those of you new listeners. We definitely have trended up over the last few weeks, so there are some of you listening to us for the first time or maybe the first few episodes you've checked out. And so I just wanted to start things off again by welcoming you, but also to say kind of, again, our vision and what we're going after here at the Cultured Christian Podcast. I was driving today and I thought of a metaphor. You know, we talk at the start there in our intro about popping the Christian bubble. You know, that's kind of our tagline, our motto, if you will. And it made me think of this thing that happens in movies sometimes in film. You call it breaking the fourth wall. Are you guys familiar with that? For those of you who aren't, or maybe you need a refresher, the first time I saw it was in the show House of Cards on uh, Netflix. It's basically this concept that when you're watching a show, the characters are never looking directly at the camera and talking to you, the audience. It's as if you and I are detached observers. We're looking through a window, watching things occur from a distance. The interaction really isn't happening with us directly from the actors. But occasionally, shows will use this device called breaking the fourth wall, and I saw it in House of Cards where Frank Underwood would occasionally look to you. It usually would happen at the end of an episode. His eyes would catch right to the camera and talk directly to us, the audience. And for me, it's one of those effects that I think less is more, right? Like you don't want to overdo it. I felt like if if you're talking directly to us, it makes it awkward. People generally aren't entertained by that kind of interaction uh, with film or movie or TV show. But I thought of it as a good metaphor for what we're trying to do here with the podcast and this whole concept of Christian culture and popping that. You see, I find a lot of Christians uh, think that they have to just dive into this Christian subculture and everything they watch and listen to and interact with has to be quote-unquote Christian, you know, not secular. There's this huge divide in their mind. And for me, I think this podcast is just breaking the fourth wall, popping that bubble and saying, hey, a lot of us Christians don't do that. Like just acknowledging the friends, most of the people I know in my life who go to church again, who, you know, have a relationship with God, who pray, who understand the Bible, that sort of stuff. They're on that journey to varying degrees. Also enjoy Netflix, also enjoy books and movies and going for bike rides and, you know, you name it when it comes to a cultural perspective, they're in this world and they're going through all of these things just like your neighbors and your friends and family who don't go to church, who don't believe in God. 
And so we thought it was a space, a lane, if you will, that a podcast could come in and speak directly to those of us who consider ourselves cultured Christians. So hopefully that gives you kind of um, another way to think of it, a new way to think of it. But that's what we're about here as we are looking to culture, technology, and faith in each of our episodes. All right, diving into that culture portion of the podcast, I wanted to first start talking about a book. I don't think I've mentioned books much on here, but books are definitely part of culture. And I uh, did something probably about a year and a half ago now where I had run out of books um, to read. I, I tend to read, you know, once or twice a month, a book once or twice a month kind of thing. That's, you know, my average, if you will. And I like to alternate between fiction and nonfiction. I probably trend to more of the nonfiction. Uh, I always want to better myself in some way. So I'm like, I want self-help books. I want to learn new skills, new hobbies. I want to read documentaries or biographies, you know, history, that kind of stuff. It feels for me more helpful than fiction. But I also have learned over the years that fictional novels can teach you things and can be self-help in their own way, kind of the, the way that they approach uh, topics in, in a different perspective. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, I would ran out of books and I asked my friends and family on Facebook, I said, hey, OK, what's in your top five books that you've read over the last year? What would you recommend? And I think that turned out to be a really great exercise if you've never done that before to kind of survey your family and friends to say, what's the best book you've read in the last 12 months? I literally wrote down everything that people said and created a list on Amazon and I have, you know, all the books. And so now I'm on like the third or fourth book from that list that my friends uh, have recommended and all of them have been phenomenal reads. And so this month, this week, I'm finishing up a book by Kristen Hanna and it's called The Nightingale. Have you heard of it? It's definitely not a new book. It's been out for a while. I had never heard of it. It got unbelievable ratings and tons of people rating it on Amazon. And I'm going to read for you the back, which may seem kind of corny, but I think it's the most succinct way to tell you what the book is about uh, and then kind of just comment what I thought of it. And so the back of the book, it says, With courage, grace, and powerful insight, best-selling author Kristen Hanna captures the epic panorama of World War II and illuminates an intimate part of history seldom seen, the Woman's War. The Nightingale tells the stories of two sisters separated by years and experience, by ideals, passion, and circumstance, each embarking on their own dangerous path towards survival, love, and freedom in German-occupied, war-torn France, a heartbreakingly beautiful novel that celebrates the resilience of the human spirit and the durability of women. It is a novel for everyone, a novel for a lifetime. Now, I'll say right at the start, because some of you guys heard that and you were like, okay, Kurt's reading women's novels now, uh, romance novels or whatever. And that was kind of my first take when my friend Kathy, I don't know if you're listening, Kathy, but thank you for recommending this book. I first looked at it and I was like, oh, this looks a little romancy. I'm not into romance. Um, it looks a little bit on the women's side. But I have to say it is a phenomenal book. 
If you're any into World War II films or books about that era, which I am, it is a great read. Highly recommend it. It definitely comes from a female perspective and women, how they traveled through uh, World War II. Again, it's a fiction novel set in, obviously, nonfiction, which is World War II. But uh, yeah, so if you're needing a new book, I can definitely recommend The Nightingale. I think I have one or two chapters left, but I already highly, highly recommend uh, you check out that book, especially if you're into World War II stuff. I think it's going to be made into a movie at some point, too, so you can get ahead of that and check out the book before the movie is released. Have you uh, got into Apple TV Plus? If you got a new Apple device in the last year, they started a brand new streaming service, Apple did. They built all these connections with different uh, actors and actresses and created kind of their own studio and started making original content just like uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney has their own streaming service now. And so I don't know as I would have paid for Apple TV Plus, but it comes free for a year. And so I've uh, been enjoying it for the most part. Um, like anything, there's a lot of shows that don't appeal to me. And then there was a few shows that kind of rose to the top. And so the two that stood out that I really enjoyed in the past were The Morning Show with Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston. I was surprised how much I enjoyed that. Great acting, great storytelling. Uh, kind of gets into the Me Too movement, but I think with a very fair, even-handed uh, look into that. And so if you haven't watched The Morning Show on Apple TV+, Plus, that's one I would recommend. I also enjoyed Servant by M. Night Shyamalan, I think is how you say it. He's made a lot of great movies like The Sixth Sense and I'm drawing a blank on a few other ones, but he's definitely had a great run as a director. He's had a few, I think Signs was his. Um, he's had a few flops as well, but he created for Apple TV this specific show called Servant, which is really good and basically deals with a woman who loses a child within like the first year. And they have a doll, and this isn't giving anything away. If you watch the trailer, this you know shows you that, and I encourage you to watch that as well. But basically, they get a doll version of their child, and it helps her psychologically dealing with the loss of her child. And so things go kind of crazy, wacky from there. But definitely very, very interesting um, storyline and kind of evolves in a unique direction. So that's all I'll say there without any spoilers. But I wanted to kind of talk about the show that I'm watching right now, which they say is having a little bit of a breakout uh, success because other than morning show, no one's really talking about Apple TV Plus shows. But I got into the show about three weeks ago. It just came out called Defending Jacob, and uh, it's a good crime story. It's basically this teenage boy is accused of killing his teenage friend and there's just a lot of interesting dynamics at play there. His dad is uh, a, a prosecuting attorney, I think. Uh, Captain America, I'm forgetting that guy's name. I should have done that research. Uh, Chris Evans. Chris Evans is the dad. And so, yeah, if you have Apple TV Plus or maybe, again, you got an Apple device in the last year, I would definitely activate that to watch some of these shows that um, I just mentioned. 
I don't know how much it costs. I think it's like $4.99 a month. I feel like it was a lot cheaper. I mean, $5 cheaper a month, but that adds up over the course of the year. And it's one of those things you could binge watch these shows. The Morning Show and Servant are already completely released. Like, they're all out. Defending Jacob is coming on weekly, so they kind of force you to wait a week, just like the old days if you grew up in the 1990s where you had to wait a week till this next episode came out. But um, you could binge watch The Morning Show and Servant and just have one month of service and then cancel it. So something to think about. Now, where are my horror film fans? Are there any horror film fans? This is one of those genres that classically isn't much of a Christian favorite, and I can completely understand that. There is, you know, connections with the occult and blood and gore and all that stuff can get um, pretty hard for some people to watch, especially if you come from a family or a situation where you experience trauma or violence or a horrible accident when you were younger or even recently in your life so I can appreciate why you might not be interested in horror there's a new series out on AMC and it's called creep show and it's based on the 1982 Stephen King movie with the same name creep show for me it reminded me I thought it was a remake of a show that I grew up with and again in the 90s Uh, 80s and 90s called Tales from the Crypt. Do you guys remember that? Basically, it's two, it's an hour long show and it's two short stories in each episode that kind of have a horror thriller kind of uh, bent or angle to it. And so this is one of one of those that just came out again, like Defending Jacob. It's only been out a few weeks, so I've only watched two episodes, which is basically four short films, short episodes. And uh, I'd say 50-50, you know, two, two of them were interesting and what I would call good when it comes to, you know, scary horror kind of thing. Just so you know where I land on that, I'm not a huge fan of gore and people getting sawed in half or whatever and seeing just gore for gore's sake. I think if it's gore in a military film and they're trying to show you exactly what things were, that makes sense to me. But just to show gore for gore's sake, I just, I don't like that. I don't get into that kind of horror film. I like horror films that are more on the thriller side that make you think that there's more of a psychological terror, things that could happen in real life, things that kind of, you know, make you lean in and just, you know, feel those emotions. I think that's the thing that I've explained to people who say, I don't understand how you can watch that stuff. And it's like haunted houses, you know, things connected with Halloween, things connected with horror. I think the reason why people like them, Christian or not, is because those things make you feel alive. Like when you get into that scared mode, like that heightened sense where you're leaning in and you're just like, oh, I can't see what's going to happen. You feel alive. It connects with a lot of your emotions and a lot of your, I'm sure there's scientific words I could be using here, but it just really connects with you in a deeper way than a lot of the other emotions from like drama or comedy. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check out Creep Show on AMC. You'll have to have either cable or a streaming service that includes AMC. Speaking of humor, do you guys like British humor? Like Ricky Gervais is a guy who I wasn't really ever on my radar. I mean, if you showed me a picture, I could probably have said, yeah, that's Ricky Gervais years ago. 
But until the Golden Globe speech where he basically just ripped Hollywood a new one and people, you know, he got a lot of news for that. And it was like, wow, yeah, somebody's bringing it to Hollywood and calling out, you know, all these horrible things that they are a part of and just the hypocrisy, basically, of Hollywood. So that's when I kind of was like, oh, I know who this guy is. I appreciate him. And um, anyways, a friend of mine, Scott, recently posted something about a show called Afterlife, which just got a second season. So again, it's like I said last week, there's Netflix shows that are just they're they're marketing them. They're right at the top. When you log in Afterlife with Ricky Gervais was one of those. And so uh, I watched it and it's pretty fast in the sense that it's only six episodes a season. And I think each episode's like 40 minutes long. Um, I enjoyed it. It's definitely British humor and it's definitely dark humor. It's talking about themes like, uh, and again, this isn't giving, I'm not, I'm trying not to spoil things if you ever get interested in the things I'm talking about. But it deals with his wife died of cancer. Like that's literally in the first three minutes of the uh, show is him dealing with that. And um, it also deals with themes of suicide and not wanting to live and depression and drug use. Um, so if those things are triggers for you, those are things that, you know, are in your situation, your life. You may want to stay away from a show like that. But I found it to be very redeeming, very human story in how he is authentically dealing with the loss of his wife and how people rally, people come around him and love on him when he's in such a dark space. Because let's be real again, as we try to do in this podcast, be authentic. A lot of us have gone through really dark seasons in our life. A lot of us have been in very negative spaces mentally and emotionally and wanted to end our lives or wanted to just give up and sleep all day or just stay away from people because for a season at least you just well hated people because people had wounded you so badly or you had been uh, frustrated with uh, people in your life. It also has a spiritual theme. There's a little bit of an underlying uh, atheism. He doesn't believe in God and kind of makes that clear throughout his uh, journey through the show. And so I found that to be an interesting discussion at times in the episodes. So yeah, overall, I would recommend Afterlife. It's, um, again, British humor. So if that always falls flat, there's certain words and phrases that they use that uh, might rub you the wrong way, and if that's the case, then don't don't give it a try because it's definitely a British humor film or show, whatever you call something on Netflix. All right, looking into music now, have you guys heard Justin Bieber collabed with Ariana Grande, which every time I hear her name, I think of a size of coffee at Starbucks, but that's a whole nother podcast. They did a collab, a music video and song called Stuck With You. It's um, one of those things that I think is cute, but specifically because of the times we're living in is really cool because it's basically an idea of, you know, we're all stuck inside with people we love. Some of us are stuck inside with people we love. Those shout out to you singles. You're not stuck inside with anybody. But for those of you who are married or, you know, have a loved one with you, you know, you're stuck inside with them. And so it's one of those videos where they took in a lot of um, videos from everybody. Like people could submit videos of themselves dancing to the song 
And so you see a ton of healthcare workers and kids. There's a bunch of um, celebrities like Kylie Jenner and uh, Stephen Curry, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Chance the Rapper, uh, Michael Buble, Ashton Kutcher and um, his wife, Demi Lovato, um, Jaden Smith. I mean, there's just tons of people in this thing. But again, I think the real standout unique thing about it is how when you watch the video, it's real life people like you and I dancing, enjoying ourselves as much as we can in this pandemic. So if you haven't checked out the music video to that, I just think it's, uh, again, a very timely music video for the time we live in. And with that, I'll segue here at the end of the culture section to just uh, let you know again that we created a Spotify playlist because, well, for one, it's kind of self-seeking that I need music. I need to hear more of the music you are listening to, new music, to comment on it and do kind of my thoughts on the show here because, as I mentioned in the last episode, I just, it's not... It's not my main focus in the culture realm, Um, but thanks to those of you who have added. There's been a few of you who have added songs. I put some songs in there, but basically just check the link in our show notes to the Spotify playlist. It's completely public and it's collab uh, version. I don't know how you say it. It's open to collaboration. So when you find a song, you should be able to like click in there on some setting and send it to our playlist. And then we all benefit from your music being added. And so, uh, yeah, feel free to share your music with us. We would love to have this growing playlist from our listeners on Spotify. So if you don't want to click the link, you should be able to just search in Spotify Instead of searching the Cultured Christian Podcast, which will bring up this podcast, and some of you listen to it through Spotify, which is totally cool, you should be able to search for Cultured Christian Music. Cultured Christians Music. I think it's plural. Cultured Christians Music. So, uh, yeah, check it out. We want to hear the music that you like. All right, in tech this week, I uh, recently read an article about pandemic robots being deployed in Singapore, basically in these public spaces like parks, to remind people uh, to social distance. Now, I don't know about you, and again, we're not going there politically, we're not going to dive into our thoughts on this thing, but one of the things I hope we can agree on as human beings on this planet is I am so over and tired of hearing nine weeks now of stay home, stay safe, or social distancing. I mean, we get it. We're all <laughs> plugged in. And, you know, I don't think there's a person on the planet, except maybe if they lived in the rainforest or, you know, up high on some mountain. Everywhere you go, you're standing in line at CVS and there's a broadcast. You're watching commercials in between your TV shows. You're watching the Today Show has basically become an entire you know, COVID story about what we should and should not be doing. And so I don't know about you, but the last thing I would want when I go to a park, like today I was riding my bike, uh, is to have robots marching around. And, And this article says the whole point, the robot's not like swatting people. I mean, maybe someday that's what they will be doing is actually enforcing these rules. But right now, this robot is just roaming through the park with a pre-recorded message that's telling people, reminding people to keep a safe distance and wear masks at all times. So, um, I don't know, just another one of those uh, interesting things that's happening in our culture as we move forward with 
a robotic future. Robots are coming, people. They, uh, drones and robots, I think, are going to be a major part of our lives in the next 10 years. Our next topic may seem poorly timed, pun intended, which you'll soon see, but what do you guys think about time zones? Time zones. People seem to have a real strong opinion about whether or not they like time zones and time change, you know, daylight savings time, all that stuff. And I read an article, this has been a few months now, and that's why I say it's not really well-timed because I should have timed it back when the time changed. Um, we here in America have the time change happen twice a year. Basically, there is this idea of moving to a universal uh, let me see if I find a use, universal time zone system, which would completely do away with, as in shred the time zones, put them in the trash can. Instead, it would be the same time all over the world all the time. Like there would be no daylight savings time. There would be no uh, different times around the world. Reading here directly from the Washington Post article, uh, it says, the logic of universal time is strikingly simple. If it's 7 in the morning in Washington, D.C., it's 7 everywhere else in the world, too. There are no time zones. Wherever you are, the time is the same. And while it may ultimately simplify our lives, the concept would require some big changes to how we think about time. As clocks would be based around the coordinated universal time, the successor to Greenwich Mean Time that runs through southeast London, most people in the world would have to change the way they consider their schedules. In Washington, for example, that means we'd have to get used to rising around noon and eating dinner at one in the morning. So again, it would drastically change our lives in the sense that our framework in our mind mentally would be different. You wouldn't eat breakfast at nine in the morning. You, depending on where you live, would eat at a different time of the day. So I think this has got some legs, some conversation value. Um, clearly over a few generations, you know, this would eventually just become how people think. You know, for us, the transition generation, we would have a really hard time with thinking through like, you know, two in the morning is when we're having dinner or whatever time where you're at. I think there could definitely be some benefits to that, um, having the same time zone across the entire world. What do you guys think about that? Is that something that you would be for, just completely removing time zones? Tell me what you think. Speaking of what do you think, what do you think of Elon Musk? <laughs> I mean, this guy, probably second only to Donald Trump, has a polarizing effect. You either love the guy or you hate the guy, and... He kind of gives you reasons for both. And uh, I, um, yeah, he's back in the news again with the Tesla plants and defying the governor's orders to keep the plants closed and all that stuff. I think the guy, you got to give him some credit. He is a futurist. He's into technology and he has really moved the ball forward with things like the electric car and uh, SpaceX and reusable space 
Rockets is huge at reducing the cost of getting people and cargo into space has been huge, huge stuff. And so I don't own a Tesla. I would love to own a Tesla, but they are so stinking expensive still to own one. That coupled with, I still think you have the problem in America that there's not many places to charge them. So as long as you're going to and from your home and you're charging it at home every day, that's fine. But if you have a long commute or you're going on a trip that's over 200 miles, then you start to get into, I got to plan this thing out. I got to plan this adventure to make sure I can charge my uh, car because there's just not as many charging stations as there are gas stations. But I wanted to focus on two articles that I read recently uh, regarding Elon Musk. The first one is about Tesla releasing some uh, videos of cars avoiding running over pedestrians. This is a really interesting article because, you know, one of the features of Tesla that's always controversial and under fire is its autopilot feature, right? There's, you can just search on YouTube for all sorts of videos, um, some fake, some real about Tesla's autopilot where you basically, I mean, that's kind of the future. We're all assuming at some point we're going to be getting into vehicles and not having to control them, which is super science fiction, where you can just read a book or watch a movie or take a nap, right? But for that to work, these cars have to have incredibly good technology at sensing the changing road conditions. And so that's something the news is always saying, you know, this Tesla got in an accident today or it ran somebody over. But it's one of those technologies that you're never hearing about up until this article, the times that it worked, the times, the thousands of times that it is avoiding accidents. Um, obviously, we don't want it to be even wrong 1% of the time. We don't want people getting run over or animals getting run over. But still, I found these videos in this article to be pretty interesting. They're trying to get ahead of the game and, of course, promote that their cars can do a significant job at avoiding hitting people that are walking out in front of your your car or like an animal. I think the other thing that's interesting is that when you talk about self-driving cars, people out there, the technicians, the people building these things will argue for a future where it'll be safer for you to ride in a self-driving car, that computers and technology will do a better job at paying attention than human beings. Because, yeah, let's be real, the stats are there. Automobile-related accidents are still some of the leading causes of death here and around the world. And so it'd be great if we can get to the point where we can trust self-driving cars to do better than the human average. I think that's obviously the goal. So that was the first article that uh, I looked at. The second one is that Tesla is looking at building their Cybertruck. Have you seen the Cybertruck? It is the latest invention, if you will, from Elon Musk. It looks like it's right out of a science fiction film like Escape from L.A. or Mad Max and this totally like stainless steel silver truck. I mean, it's one of those things where like depending on the day, I like it and then I don't like it. But anyways, they're looking to open some new locations, including one in the central of the United States, which is to me very interesting because most of the time he's building them out west 
And so it's looking to kind of spread Tesla more across the country and move into new markets, giving people jobs in the center of the country. I'd like to see some in Texas and in the Midwest, East Coast. But yeah, Tesla's expanding, man. This company is continuing to uh, shake up the automobile industry. As somebody who lives in the Detroit area, with our long history of automobiles, there is a lot of, I would say, negative opinion of Tesla living here in Detroit because we come from long lines of Ford and Chevy and Chrysler families. People in our families have either worked for the big three or companies that supply the big three, um, or you know someone, right? Someone in your neighborhood, someone who goes to your church, like it's all super connected to the auto industry here. Less and less as time rolls on, that market of course has changed over the years and some of it go to Canada, some of it's gone to Mexico. I think some of the new trade deals are hopefully changing some of those dynamics. But uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting article to see that they're looking to expand uh, his gigafactory to produce these new trucks in Central USA. And finally, in our faith section this week, I have been doing a devotional by a guy named Bob Goff. Are you guys familiar with Bob Goff? If you are not, you should be. I would go to Amazon right now and find one of his books he became, I would say, nationally, internationally known through his book, Love Does, and then his follow-up book, which I actually like a little bit better, called Everybody Always. Bob is just a very unique individual, like the kind of guy that every week he lives his life. I don't know if he still does it, but here's two things that stand out, but he would quit something every week of his life. Like he would just quit something and and that would leave space for him to then try something new so he had this practice i think for a portion of his life if not is continuing that of quitting just always every week like as americans we're always adding 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 never stopping and so that was kind of a cool principle i learned through him and then the other thing that i think made him a unique figure when he spoke and when he wrote his book is he has his cell phone number in the book and he tries to live by a principle that he will answer every single call within reason right if he's in the restroom or sleeping uh he will answer your call now i've never tried it but i've heard that it's true and he i'm sure has multiple phones so there's probably one line that takes all those calls in but it definitely made him a unique figure i think to answer everyone's call and be there for them, whether they need advice or prayer or inspiration. Really, really cool guy. Check out Bob Goff if you haven't before. But for today's kind of thoughts on faith, I wanted to read with you a part of his devotion from uh, his latest. It's a devotional called Live in Grace, Walk in Love, a 365-day journey. This just came out uh, this year. And so I've been reading it daily. It's kind of my devotional in the morning. I do each day. I try to do five to six days a week. I do this every morning, kind of starting my day. And I also do meditation in the mornings, breathing exercises, that kind of thing. In the evenings, I tend to do a U version last thought before sleeping. I do a U version Bible study. So that's kind of my current, uh, and I like variety a lot, so that's what I'm doing right now, but six months from now, probably change it up, do something different, don't want to get stuck in those ruts. 
And so this comes from page 155, if you have this devotional, and he starts with the verse at the top, John 16, 33. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then reading on here, just skipping ahead to about halfway down, it says this. It says, sometimes you hear Christians who say following Jesus will make you more successful. Just watch some of them on TV on a Sunday morning and you'll hear it. They say God wants to bless you, and by bless, they mean make you rich. Sometimes it sounds like God is a short order cook and he will make us whatever we ask him for. But Jesus never said anything like that. He said he didn't come to make life easier for us. He came to rescue us and to make our lives more purposeful by making us more like him. Jesus never promised to eliminate all the chaos from our lives. He said he'd bring meaning to them. He invited us into a story of grace and redemption, probably because these are the stories the disciples got wrong time and time again. If you wonder why you're still why you will still face some of the same struggles you brought into your relationship with God, you're in good company. He doesn't magically erase them like a product from an infomercial. He promises to be with us while we reach towards him to find more meaning in our circumstances. That's the real blessing. And so this particular devotion spoke to me for a number of reasons, but I think the biggest one and kind of the thought that I want to share today is that God does not, often does not, remove trouble from our lives. I did a series years ago with students in the student ministry I was at at the time called The Doctrine of Trouble. It was literally a four-part series debunking this idea in American Christianity that when you become a Christian, everything in your life becomes a bed of roses, right? Like, I don't think a lot of people say it that explicitly, but if you read between the lines, that's what a lot of churches are selling today. A gospel of Jesus improves our lives. He removes trouble. He removes obstacles. And the challenge, as he just shared there, John 16, 33 being the scriptural basis, you know, in this world, he tells his disciples, you will have trouble. It's a doctrine. It's a truth. It's a reality that we are promised trouble. We're not promised relief or release or cure for whatever we're dealing with. We're promised trouble. And I think that's a really important thing for churches and pastors and Christians to be teaching us, to teach each other, to remind each other, because God knows we all go through times of trouble. We're in a season of, of worldwide trouble, and with the eco- economy being in the tank and job numbers, you know, all the unemployment rate and all the things, the ripple effect of suicides and domestic violence and child abuse and just so many things connected with economic uh, recession, we will face times of trouble. And what that does to our faith reveals a lot. Like, again, it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going great. When you have million dollars in your bank account, when you have that new state-of-the-art 
car and you have great health care and you have a loving family and you've never experienced trauma or abuse, you go to a great church, your pastor speaks eloquently, like if everything in your life is lined up really, really well and everything's great, you don't really need God. You might want God. You might be in a position where, yeah, it's an add-on to your life. It's part of your life. But it's when we go through seasons of trouble that we switch from wanting God to needing God, depending on God, where we switch from God being an add-on to our life to God literally being our life. It's a massive shift. It's a huge shift to start thinking about God being with us in the trouble. And that's what friends heaven is all about. Like we're pilgrims. We're we're on an adventure through this world, through this life. And we look forward to another world, another time, another moment where all these things will be different, where God says in Revelation, things will be made right. Justice will come for all the wrongs that we and others have committed. But we're not there yet. We are in, to use a term we've used in this podcast numerous times, we are in the messy middle. We're in the middle on our way to, but not there yet, all of those wrongs being made right and living in a perfect world. And so until then, friends, it's important that we rely on and lean into the Jesus who doesn't often remove the chaos, doesn't remove the pain, but is with us. He redeems it. He makes meaning and purpose out of the pain in our lives. And so whatever you're going through today, I know a significant part of what you're going through because I'm going through it as well. We call it COVID. But the unspoken things, the things that are hidden, the things that no one knows about, the things that you've never shared with another living soul, even those things, even those troubles, God wants to be present. God wants to bring meaning and purpose and value to those things. And so I leave you with that. Just some thoughts from Bob Goff and Jesus. A couple of guys who have said some really wise things and I think add value to our lives. And here we are at the end of another episode. Thank you guys for listening today. I am super excited about our next episode, episode 12, where I will be interviewing a pastor. We will have our first actual pastor on the podcast talking about the church and how many of us, well, don't go, don't want to go, are wounded by and hurt by attending church. If you like what you heard today, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation over on our Reddit. Also like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com or share them via text or voicemail at area code 810-207-5717. And we'll see you in the next one.